Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hi, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Monday, June 19, 2023. Uh, today's podcast is completely focused on recapping the Big Apple WWDC 23 event from a couple of weeks ago. We've all had some time now to digest it. You know, um, sometimes you got to wait a couple of weeks just to get, you know, all that stuff digested and kind of uh, firm up the uh, opinions of what people saw. And I've got my, um, I wouldn't say Motley group, but uh, got a terrific uh, cast of characters here for today's uh, podcast. I've got John Quain, who writes for the New York Times, Smart Cities and Tom's Guide. Stuart Wappen, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, AARP, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other wonderful publications. Dedicated Washington Nats fan, Rob Pagarero, who writes about tech development at PC Mag, Fast Company, and other publications. And I'm also pleased to introduce uh, Niels von Straten, who is the founder of Apple Design, a uh, interesting um, company that has got lots and lots of expertise in the, uh, the aesthetics and industrial design area. Big, big fan of Apple. He's got a big following. I'm sure he'll talk about it for a second on Instagram. But, you know, let me, Niels, let me have you introduce yourself for about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. All right. So, yeah, my name is Niels von Straten. I'm originally from the Netherlands. I started uh, Apple Design on Instagram in 2016. Uh, and it slowly started to become basically my full time job covering uh, everything related to Apple with a huge passion for the aesthetic and the, uh, the refinement of its design um, and yeah also now branching out into other uh, channels as well as Twitter, YouTube and TikTok. Great well we're excited to have you because you'll add an interesting perspective to this conversation with especially with these three guys that I've got here so <laughs> so without any further ado let me bring up the uh, some slides and some topics I want to kind of go through. I want to save the best for last because if we start with you know, Vision Pro <laughs> You know, it'll be a five-hour podcast, and we can't make that happen. But I want to kind of break it into pieces here. Um, Mac OS, you know, um, not a lot of, ch from my perspective, uh, a lot of cosmetic uh, changes. You know, a lot of rinse and repeat um, features. Again, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna say this about all the operating system changes because I really think Apple changed uh, kind of held their. Um, they held their ammunition back for the uh, the virtual pro piece, but uh, let me start with Stuart. Stuart, any reaction to the Mac OS element to it? Uh, the, uh, uh, yes, I don't like the name. <laughs> <laughs> I think Apple's naming conventions are getting increasingly stupid. It's becoming very confusing. Ventura, Sonoma, Mountain Range, Lion, Tiger. Stop it. If you want to help keep consumers to stay current with their operating system, just name them for the year that they'll be used in. Mac OS 24, iOS 24. Do you realize that in the fall we're going to be using or talking about the iPhone 15 running iOS 17? How does this help anybody? Just name the operating systems for the years in which they will be used so normal people outside of the very, very tiny Apple bubble know what operating system they need to have on their phone instead of giving them these ridiculous either san francisco area names 
or Apple's own internal numbering system. Just name them for the year. Let's keep it simple, people. I, I, I'm sure Tim Cook will listen to that advice. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, and you're just jealous because if Apple was based in New York, we would, we would have Queens. Love Mac yeah, right. I want Mac OS Queens. That would be <laughs> perfect. No, no, you'd be a big fan of Mac OS flushing, but that's a different story. That's a different story. John, uh, do you have the same observation? Or do you I, have I, think, I, I think they should name it like Sunshine and Sky. And <laughs> Unicorn. Moon Unit. Oh, moon moon unit. The Moon Unit version of Mac OS. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, maybe too many people are micro-dosing it at Mac, uh, at Apple's headquarters there. I don't know. Um, which I always wonder, is that like a quarter hit of acid? <laughs> Um, anyway, I, I think you're right that a lot of it was cosmetic. Um, you know, the major thing that people talked about to me were the stickers. That was the, that was the big thing. So it wasn't security. And again, just saying nothing about AI. Tim's been asked about it several times. Nothing. Just not in the game right at the moment. So that's kind of surprising. So, you know, like you said, it was sort of rinse and repeat. So Niels, I want to bring you into this because we have to have we have to have a sane comment <laughs> before before we get to Rob. I mean, you know what was interesting, Niels, is that the one feature that I was dying them to introduce is um, is I uh, I uh, uh, gaze I gaze correction. They have that in their i uh, in the, they actually have that capability right now in iOS 16. It only works with FaceTime. But for those people who like to do a lot of podcast stuff, and by the way, I'm doing this on a Windows PC because I'm using NVIDIA Broadcast that actually does have eye gaze correction. Didn't do that. Now, they may introduce that. They may, that may be a supplemental hmm. ad. But, Niels, did anything jump at you in terms of the uh, in terms of what they did with macOS? Yeah, and it's not not something for the, for the consumer, actually, but it's for the developers. Uh, and that is their um, um, game porting toolkit, actually. I don't know if you've seen it, but they briefly touched upon it. So I'm not talking about the game mode, which is that's for the consumer, which allows uh, uh, your, your Mac to basically go into a high performance game mode in which it uh, in increases your processors, the, the silicon's performance. But I'm actually talking about a porting toolkit that they made for developers in order to port Windows games to Mac, with with basically based on Rosetta. So I'm not I'm not sure whether you're familiar with Rosetta, but that's the software or the translation tool that they use in order to translate Intel-based applications towards Mac, right. Apple Silicon-based applications. Right. Yes. And this for me is like a game changer. This for me is like the biggest feature. Uh, in macOS, so uh, it's like sadly enough not uh, a consumer orientated feature, but for developers, and in the end, it will be for the consumer, of course. But that for me is like a game changer. No, I think I think you're right. And Rosetta it proved to be it, that was around for uh, several years, but it was certainly a big deal when they uh, made their first announcement around Apple Silicon because it really did ease the transition. 
um, to uh, Apple Silicon from Intel um, x86 um, architectures. And of course, you know, it encouraged developers to really move and port their applications as quickly as possible because there are obviously uh, speed benefits if you have your software optimized for Apple Silicon. So that's a very, very good point. Uh, Rob, take us home on this on this point. Tell me that you have. So I have to start by explaining how Stuart is wrong about the name. <laughs> uh, I, to, I should note uh, my wife's family has lived in Sonoma County for a long time. I love going to Sonoma County. It is a idyllic part of California. And knowing that there is a little bit of a rivalry going on between Sonoma and Napa, I'm personally happy it's not Mac OS Napa. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, as far as features, oh, that. Exactly, uh, it's thank interesting you. how much Apple is playing up widgets because, right. remind me, when was when were dashboard widgets such a big part of Mac OS? We right. seem to have gone full circle. And now, once again, Apple is talking about this innovative new way to have little, you know, widgets. applets running across your screen. <laughs> I, the one thing I will, I'll just say about this before we go to the next topic, I, I remember going, I, I was at WWDC, 20 or 21 it was 20 because it was uh oh maybe it was 19 19 it was it was in person and and i i forget the mac OS. what was i forget the uh, the, the, the mac os they announced but they announced the first version of mac os that and i was there in person at the san jose convention center where they implemented um, a night mode where if the, the, the your macbook uh could detect that it was late at night it would darken the screen automatically Sierra. But the funny thing is you couldn't oh, see this unless you were at the event. It got a standing ovation from the Apple aficionados that were there. And it's like, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. This is, this is, but that's yeah. the way Apple folks. And I think Neil, uh, Niels, you could probably, I'm sure you'll talk about it in a, in a, in a few moments. That's right. the way Apple design people kind of, kind of look at Apple. They, I mean, those are the nice touches, frankly, that get a lot of, um, a lot of traction when you're an Apple customer. Let's talk about iPadOS and iOS. Um, there's obviously a lot of overlap because both operating systems are built on more or less the same uh, architecture. You had the live stickers <laughs> in iOS. Um, you've got, uh, you know, they're doing a lot more things with the lock screen where there's a lot more now uh, capability in terms of when that product is, is, not, is locked, it has all kinds of viewing capability, what I particularly like, which was interesting. You can use your $1,500 iPhone 14 or ultimately 15 as a really high-end clock radio, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was kind of interesting. So, Rob, let me start start you there. What, what did you see? So uh, the, the one that really jumped out at me was the whole name drop contact sharing feature. Number yes. one, it does address a real use case. Number two, speaking of throwback features, remember the contact sharing feature in Palm OS? You, you, you run into somebody with a Palm 3 at some conference in 1999 uh, there was an apple beam for the first iphone that was around for a while so we've come full, full circle we once again have that um otherwise you know lots of interesting stuff on the other hand of course apple is still not supporting rcs uh for S instead of sms and iMessage. so if you're going to send a message from uh, an iphone to an android or vice versa yeah. it's Green still bubbles, lowest common Green denominator bubbles. sent in the clear the other thing that I wished Apple was going to do, but of course they will not, is add a kids mode to iPad OS and iOS. So those of us with small children can hand the device to the kid and not have the kid have free reign to the entire device. Uh, 
And Apple, no, no I, we're not I, going Rob, to buy was, a second iPad or iPhone for this use case. So stop pretending. Rob, I, I was waiting for that to come out, and I was going to tweet, just a tweet based on, hey, you called it, but <laughs> it did not happen. Did not happen. Stuart. Well, I sort of like the uh, the call screening feature, the name of which I have I has passed through my head already. But the fact personalized that personalized contact is that what it was called? Contact well, anyway, it, it when a call comes in, it goes to voicemail, but a transcript of whoever is calling appears on your lock screen. So if you're in a meeting, you could decide if it's an emergency enough of a call that you need to go pick it up for whatever reason. I thought that that was a really interesting thing. Not that I use my phone to call people, um, but, uh, but for people who actually are on their phone all the time, I thought that was a very, very clever thing to put on there. It is, because Android has had a feature like that for like five years. <laughs> it's really well, great. there you go. Yeah. It shows you what I know. I don't use well, an Android phone, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, but Apple's not, but Apple's now doing it, so now it's important. Um, John, <laughs> John. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. I mean, that that feature i do use that feature on android phone not that i'm one of the people that's always talking on the phone that stuart's referring to but um yeah it it, it goes back to grand central do you remember speaking of oh, after yes. new york grand central was a service that then google ended up buying as it did you know so many other services and now is google voice basically got rolled into that but it, it does that although the transcripts are terrible they're really bad Right. So you're you're lucky if you get the number and you get the number right, but the rest of it, nah, not so much. So all of those transcription services don't work very well. I mean, they don't work very well because even if it's 99% accurate, that's a lot of words that are wrong. You know, when you're actually reading the transcript, that's the problem with that. Um, but yeah, I, I did. There were there were some. You know, there's some nods to the consumer to try and make things a little easier. And I think actually making fun of, I actually like the turning it into the, the world's most expensive, you know, nighttime <laughs> clock. Um, because that a lot of us do that with the phone, right? We do really have it by our bedside. And so it's yes. just a recognition of for the last how many years we've been doing that. So I think some of those were actually a little helpful. But, you know, to your point, nothing earth shattering on the consumer side. But they, they did have the, uh, I think it's they're calling it uh, visual voicemail uh, for FaceTime. I thought that was, that was, that was a step in the right direction because they, obviously, as you know, when you FaceTime someone and they don't pick up all they'll see on the other side, you can send them a text message. Oh, Oh, by the way, call me when you can, or, but you, it, I, I mean, I, I still, I think Apple's now starting to come to the realization that video conferencing, whether it's FaceTime is now becoming really almost a preferred communication versus just audio and voice. So that yeah, it, it, it definitely is. I mean, people are walking down the street doing FaceTime and have been for a long time. So yeah, I think that's that's right. But I, I have to mention one thing about the features that we just mentioned. There are increasing distraction. They don't do what Tim Cook claimed they do, which was, well, you won't be distracted by that phone call coming in because you won't have to answer it because you could read the transcription. But then you're not paying attention to what you're doing at the time, right? You're not paying attention to the meeting you're in. You're now reading the transcript. It's just an increase. And in, Or you've got to go back and voicemails that I don't listen to. Now I'm going to have video mails that I don't watch. I mean, it's just, it's not helping. It, it's convenient, but it's not helping. <laughs> Uh, Niels, any any uh, closing comments on this topic? Uh, well, yeah, actually, I was pretty impressed by uh, like the the package of features we got because there were a lot of rumors that iOS 17 wouldn't be as 
as yeah as big as we hope because of Vision Pro. Uh, but in the end, I'm pretty happy with like the package we got. Like it's not mind blowing. There are some some nice features. For me, for example, AirDrop, and then you already mentioned it. Uh, I think it was Rob. Like name drop is nice, but uh, like AirDrop overall is getting way better in the sense that. For example, if you're getting out of reach, out of the airdrop reach, you will still continue to transfer the files over Wi-Fi. Um, there also have been some upgraded like UI and UX animations with airdrop, which I really like. Um, and then one I like tried out uh, or found out myself, which is the improved auto-correction feature. So this is actually a really underestimated one, but once you try it out, try, yeah, so it's a feature they briefly, uh, Greg briefly touched upon it. Basically, the, the AI, yeah, so they don't mention AI. They don't want to mention that. We, we know that. But the artificial intelligence with regards to the keyboard is like five times better than it used to be. So the, rec the, the recognition of words, the predictive text, everything is significantly better. And that's a thing for us consumers who are using our keyboards like on our iPhone all the time. I think that's the the, the most uh, yeah, time-saving one we got. Um, so yeah, these are for me and the standby mode will probably increase the sales of, of, of stands. Already a bunch of like new parties that reached out to me and said, like, we want to work with you and we want you to feature add a new standby mode on iOS 17 with our new stands. Uh, so I think that will be a, a nice boost also for the stand makers. But yeah, I mean, I'm overall, overall happy with, with the changes, but it's not like uh, as we had with iOS 16. iOS 16 was a really nice improvement. So this is okay, this is decent. Well, and just to close out this before we head to the next topic, what was interesting about the autocorrect capability you know, the, the entire WWDC 23 was almost completely void of any commentary on Gen AI. And, you know, you could you could argue that, you know, I think Apple's being very careful, and this is, could, could be a completely separate podcast, on the implementation of Gen AI. They really haven't announced the strategy yet. And this, we obviously know autocorrection on text messages is a... <laughs> or it's, it's, it's limitations in its current, limita uh, current iter uh, version has done a lot of damage to people <laughs> with sending text messages that they didn't mean to send. So this is kind of a, a, an issue that it should solve, knock wood, one of the biggest pain points of using um, uh, uh, sending text messaging without embarrassing yourself and crazy words. And so this is kind of Apple's low-level way of kind of sticking Gen AI kind of into their portfolio. Let us talk about the next topic, and I'll just make a couple of observations before I go down the roster here. Kind of interesting that they, you know, Mac Pro, the old trash can, uh, is still around. Um, I thought, you know, of course, because they brought it into the Apple Silicon world. I thought what was interesting was that uh, that there's it, obviously it's design, you could spec this thing out, and it's the price of a of a low end Tesla when you kind of spec it out with all the memory and storage options you have. It has PCI slots, but what was interesting. For those who do a lot of video uh, work, uh, uh, you know, video editing and stuff like that, it, the P the PCI cards do not uh, do not support third party graphics cards. Like for ex you know external graphic, you know, like, like in the old days when you had Intel um, Intel uh, processors, it did work with um, AD, uh, AMD Radeon 
card. So if you were, you know, you're looking for extra graphics power, but none of those slots work for that. You can only use that, I presumably, for just internal storage, which was kind of interesting. The MacBook Air 15, okay, they refreshed it with with Apple Silicon. You know, um, it's obviously a sweet spot, they think, in that thin and light category. So they, I think they, they did what they had to do. Uh, Stuart, your thoughts on, on these two uh, product categories? Well, I don't have anything to say on the MacBook Pro because I'm not a MacBook Pro or a Mac Pro user. I am a MacBook Pro owner that I bought last year, and I don't need a MacBook Pro. This Mac, this Mac book air 15 i said before the event and i continue to say i think this is the most impressive piece of hardware they've released only because it does hit that real sweet spot a lot of students 13 inches is just not a big enough screen you can't put real two documents really side by side with each other when you're working i would have definitely opted for the macbook air 15 had it been available rather than the anvil killing a fly with an anvil macbook pro that i bought um, so I think this is a significant entry in the sweepstakes. And the other thing I, I've just found out, I have, I've been speaking to a number of Windows laptop makers over the last couple of weeks or so for a piece I'm working on for Popular Mechanics. And a lot of them are going away from 15, 15.6 inch screens all the way to 16. So this is really one of, I won't say a few remaining, but, but Acer, Asus, uh, Lenovo, they're all moving away from... 15-inch laptops to 16, and so I think this is going to occupy a nice little sweet spot for a lot of people, also considering the fact it's the thinnest one of, of, of the size out there. So for college students, this is especially boom because it's both light and it's really thin, so it doesn't take up a lot of room as they schlep it across campuses. Yeah, yeah so John, uh, and I agree with everything that Stuart said, the interesting thing about the screen selection is remember the, the industry kind of coalesces around certain screen sizes. And the reason why that's a relevant point, even though it's a supply chain type of point, is that, you know, you obviously uh, that you want it, even Apple would like to get the lowest cost they possibly can. I mean, even right. they're not, um, they don't ignore, you know, declining price points. So my guess is that the 15 inch panels are coming down in cost because there is a lot of industry, um, I think, coalescence around uh, that screen size. That might have driven part of the, the part of their decision making to keep this to keep that the uh, that air model uh, fresh. But did you see anything, John, that jumped at you from a hardware standpoint? Uh, no, I mean I thought um, the the real high point again. I agree with Stuart. Really, is um, the MacBook Air 15. I mean that's really that was their high point. Um, even though we're about to talk about another piece of hardware. <laughs> but in terms of what we would actually use and buy and what people want, I think that was definitely the high point. And, and uh, so much so that to, to also to, to latch on to Stuart's point, it's, it caused a reaction uh, to all the laptop makers out there in the world that were like, oh, it's $1,300. We're going to have to do something about our version of that basically in windows um so it that actually caused a reaction that stirred up the marketplace um, normally that doesn't really happen because they're so expensive you know <laughs> compared to a windows machine it's like i'm not worried about a macbook pro because it's like double the price of the windows i'm exaggerating slightly but in this case that price point and everything um did did get a few of them pretty nervous definitely so, Rob, did you go out and order a Mac Pro? Because I know you <laughs> no, you know, the starting price is a little less than before, $7,000. One thing I did notice, though, 
Uh, Mark, you and I have talked before about the Apple tax to add memory, and it seems to have <laughs> really eased off in Apple terms. So the Mac Pro starts with one ter with a one terabyte SSD. Stepping up from that to a two two terabytes is just four hundred dollars, which back in the day, uh, hmm. you know, I think I priced out and talked to you for a 2018 USA Today story where it was something like yes. a four hundred dollar tax to go from half a terabyte to a terabyte SSD. Right. And it's a similar thing with the uh, Mac Studio, where I think it's ships with a 512 gig SSD, and it's $200 to go from that to a terabyte, which is not as cheap as the other vendors, but it is much more reasonable. Right. Yeah, I'm, and I love your polite language of the word tax. I know some of my Windows comrades at Dell and Lenovo <laughs> and HP would use a different word. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, I, again, I, you know, the funny thing is, and and Niels, Niels is gonna is gonna wrap it up for us on this topic, is that the thing that surprised me, as and we're gonna get to the we're gonna get to the eleven o'clock number topic in about two minutes, is the issue around the fact that it was an hour and twenty minutes before we actually got to the the big Kahuna in the room, right? And the but the thing is. You know, the, you got to give them credit. They, they, you know, they, 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 and they do things Apple when it comes to refreshing hardware in a completely different way, and the Windows guys does. When Intel refreshes their processors, when AMD now, which has become a much more potent force in the microprocessor area, when they come out with a new Ryzen CPU, you know, the PC guys step up. Okay, like clockwork, they refresh. Apple hasn't done that, you know. And and one thing we should say, they did not announce, and we should we should say this explicitly. Niels, you might want to comment on this. There was no M3. They did not mention anything about a brand new iteration. Now they, even even Apple doesn't want to cannibalize their existing market by, you know, by announcing a, a brand new iteration of my, uh, Apple Silicon that is not available yet or makes more sense for them to to, to make just maintain the uh, the M2 stuff. But Niels, any comments from your perspective when you look at the hardware here? Uh, well. You said it like the M3. I think that if they would have introduced the M3, maybe Ultra uh, on the Mac Pro, uh, then that iteration would have made a lot more sense to me. Now we have a, a Mac Pro and a Mac Studio and the, the difference in price is like huge. We're talking, I think like $5,000. And for me, what they did with the Mac Pro was just, okay, we promised that we were going to make a full transition to Apple Silicon on our devices. So we just quickly like put in M2 Ultra in Mac Pro and now we can call it like we've done everything. That's a bit what I see with the Mac Pro. So honestly, I would really like not recommend the Mac, Mac Pro to, to anyone at the moment at this price point. I would just go with a Mac Studio, which almost comes with the same performance and the same uh, amount of ports and way, I think, le way less space. So for me, that's a bit like what they did with the Mac Pro uh, and the MacBook Air. I think this is going to be one of the best-selling like laptops in the coming maybe two to three years for for Apple. I think this is a golden move. They introduced a 13-inch, they redesigned it, and now they're bringing that same design to a 15-inch form factor, I'm almost 100% certain that this is going to be their best-selling MacBook in the coming two years. Well, we're we're, uh, we're going to see here. You know, we're going to see how that all kind of pans out because you know, the um, 
you know, I, I mean, I, I just I can't talk enough about the fact that, you know, price point, price point, price point. You think seven thousand dollars is expensive, but the MacBook, the Mac Pro is a very specialized form factor. That is not for any of us on this call. I mean, that really is a Disney Studio. Uh, really, and I mean that very literally. I mean, it's a, it's a, a a professional artist that needs every ounce. <clears throat> In many cases, are doing you know studio grade video production, and again, it's it, the, the the volume that they'll sell. You could probably fit into MetLife Stadium, you know, uh, at a Giants game. I, w- I wouldn't say Jets game at a Giants game. Uh, let's. Um, <laughs> Let us talk about the next topic here. And I wonder what that, that next topic could be, if I can find my cursor here. Uh, okay, without any further ado, Vision <laughs> Pro. So let me start out with my rant, okay? Because I now we're going to talk <laughs> about price point. Everybody, oh, my God, no one can afford this. The one thing I'm going to say about before we get into the Vision Pro um, um, product, it's, it's Vision, no pun intended, the price point thing I don't get too obsessed with because first of all, if you adjust for inflation, an IBM PC would have been five thousand dollars, you know, uh, and a much less capable product from a technology standpoint. What impressed me about what Apple did was two things. First of all, they did something completely differentiated. They took the, in- the entire industry by, uh, I think, off guard in, in terms of approaching this at a platform level. This spatial computing approach—they really, whether they're successful or not—is is, is debatable, but. You got to give them credit. They, they did not approach it from an accessory standpoint. This is a, a computer that sits on your head. It has a microprocessor. It has 4K um, uh, LCD technology. It's, have, it's like having a, a 4K TV that sits on your head uh, in front of each eyeball. Uh, the if People who have used it, I hear the same thing over and over again. It is co- immersive in a way that you can't even describe. And, and, I, and if they're successful, you know, from a vision standpoint, and there's a number of different usage models that I think are going to be interesting in terms of putting your desktop into a virtual display. And we all talk about being confined to a 13 or 14-inch display in a hotel room where you're using your um, uh, a portable computer. Well, guess what? You know, uh, if I'm using this, I could have a couple of 80-inch displays virtually in my virtual field of view. Um, and I, I have to tell you, they did the right thing. They announced this thing six months with the developers. I think there will be a Lotus One Two Three killer app. I don't know what that's going to be, but I think there will be some interesting stuff there. So, I mean, I don't get too obsessed with the price point because I think I mean, think I mean, we just talked about a seven thousand dollar Mac Mac Pro. So, from that perspective, okay, it's thirty five hundred bucks. Now, I don't think they're going to sell twenty five million units, but I do think they'll sell two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand, and if you do the math, that's well over a billion dollars. Not too bad. Not too bad. So, so that's my rant. Um, not really a rant, but that's my kind of my observation. Um, Stuart, I'm not, actually, I'm, let me start with, with Niels. Niels, what was your impression of the Vision Pro? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit biased maybe. Um, but yeah, I was actually really impressed by the, the product. Um, and fortunately, we're not able to try it out for ourselves yet. So it's really difficult to make a proper uh, review here but from what i've seen i think that apple knew everything like what they did in the presentation how they try to um tell the story uh of the, the 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 whole product the whole experience i think they nailed it um yeah 3500 dollars 
a huge amount of money. And I think we need to understand that this is the first generation uh, and that eventually we'll have uh, models that will be similar to uh, an iPhone SE, uh, uh, one that will cost maybe around $1,500, maybe a more expensive premium model that will cost even more than $3,500. Uh, I think this is the the beginning, and we already spoke about it, Mark. I think this is the beginning of a new era. Uh, it might, like what they did with the Apple Watch might be a bit similar. So the Apple Watch, it just threw in a bunch of features, and then they just looked where where the where the wave went, in, in what direction they went, and that was health and fitness mostly. Uh and we will see with the Vision Pro, I think it will be similar. They're offering this huge palette of, of features and capabilities. And then in the end, it will be us and the developers deciding in which direction we're mostly going to use this, this product. And eventually, Apple will just exploit this, 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 this niche, basically. Um, so, yeah, and I think that just the UI or the eye tracking is really... Uh, like magical, some big YouTuber said it, uh, MKBHD, uh, the, the biggest tech YouTuber was like blown away by this. So I think they really nailed the, the, the experience, the UI. And now it's just like our people going to like react to holding really this thing in their hands and how are they going to apply it in their, in their daily lives. That's just, I think, something very difficult to, uh, to judge. Rob, I know you're going to order three or four. I know, and I also because I know you want to use it on the plane. Actually, that was the one usage model that I kind of scratched my head at. That, you know, there's, and I'm not sure. Well, maybe on a, on a, on, a, uh, on an international international flight, I might use it. You know, and there's power ports, so the battery life is not an issue. I know Stuart's going to get mad at me. I would not use it on a New York subway for a whole bunch of different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. No, because I know that you work for the MTA, so I'm not going to. <laughs> So, Rob, what, what were your thoughts? I still don't know that this is something for which actual consumer demand exists or will exist. And if it turns out that this does have an audience among developers, industrial designers, whatever, but not more than that, we may have to accept that, you know, that's all that this is going to be. There are some technological innovations that are impressive, you know, deserve recognition for engineers overcoming a difficult task, but don't actually solve a real world problem. And so this is something looking at it, like I would not take that in a trip. I, I, it's too big for one thing. It's not going to fit in any kind of bag I can put under my seat. Um, it is really expensive. It's not going to take the place of a laptop or anything else. Um, the whole movie watching case, that's great if you're a single guy in a New York City apartment where I guess you certainly can't fit the 70 inch screen anyways, but are you going to buy one for one in the family? No, uh, at least not in this family. And um, yeah, you know, yes. Rob is sending off of a, a lot of uh, non-enthusiastic Yeah, <laughs> I'm not feeling the love for this. Sorry. Uh, so yeah. John, you know, I mean, I, I think I, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think from a hardware point of view, I mean, I, I'm a hardware person. I love the technology and follow, you know, um, you know, the micro uh, OLED, uh, not quite what we're after, but it's close. It's getting there. Um, 
and uh, in terms of because micro L, uh, what we want are micro LEDs in a TV size screen. That's really what we're after. Uh, but uh, but it helps in the resolution of these devices and, and headset and the number of cameras that they've packed that in and of itself it's a big is pretty impressive into the into this unit. But it's all to give this illusion of something that it cannot overcome. And that is these are inherently isolating devices. Right. And Apple, he kept pretending like, but you can see the person's eyes. So all these people were asking me afterward in interviews and on radio and stuff. Well, you can see the person's eyes like, no, you can't. Right. It's completely opaque. It's completely physically isolating. You are cut off from your surroundings. What you're getting are sensors giving you a real time image of what may be around you. And you can adjust that. But you physically are still isolated from that and you really can't get away from that aspect of it. I, they've tried really hard, but I think you've got to buy into what the technology is actually doing and saying, you know what, this is the kind of device that, in which you want to be isolated from your surroundings. You don't want to be part of this. You want to be part of the fantasy of the virtual reality or this giant, you know, 120 inch screen of Avatar, the way of the water. And I want to see them diving and that's what you want don't pretend like uh you can still be part of the room and conversation because you're not really um i think that's one problem with it and and the uh, you know the other is i think uh niels is right in that they've thrown everything at it like the first cars that had voice recognition touch screen uh, a, cr a crank mo all these different ways to control the systems in the cars to see which one people actually used and liked and i think there's very much of that uh, going on with the Vision Pro, but I think it's an impressive, super impressive piece of hardware, uh, really remarkable. And I think recognizing that it's easily worth $3,500. That's not, I think that's totally worth it. But I think this pitch that you're going to be part of your office and environment and stuff is like, that's not happening. That's just fantasy. So, so I, I, I can't wait to your comments, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but, here, but here's the thing. I think John is right. This is the first Apple product that I've observed in a long time that you can argue about the price point. You can argue that it's isolating. You can argue that there's, you know, the, the Rob Pegarero, I don't see the usage models yet, you know, but what you can argue is the hardware is at such a high fidelity. You yeah. didn't hear one, um, one dissenting voice saying, well, you know, it's underpowered and you're not going to be able to do these things. You know, I mean, I think Apple kind of shot for the stars price point be damned. Let's make sure it has the right mix of really high-end technology. Price costs will always come down. And I guarantee you there's a roadmap circulating somewhere in Cupertino that's showing over the next couple of years the, the, the um, steady decline in price points. And they'll obviously come out with other models that will be less expensive. But um, what, what was your perspective? Please be more optimistic than John and Rob. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, knowing the history of the company, it is really hard to say Apple has made a mistake because every time we in the chattering media say that they end up proving us wrong. So I just want to, you know, sort of set up what I'm about to criticize them for with, with that understanding that we are almost always have been wrong, but I'm looking at this sort of like as Apple's VR Newton. I think this is so far ahead of its time. And the fact that they're pricing it at 3,500 and well, I think it is a, to a certain extent, 
a stall tactic for everybody else to catch up and to figure out what to do with this massive bundle of very impressive technologies. I understand why Apple is doing it from a business point of view. The iPhone business has been 50% of their revenues for a long time. And the number of used phones that people are buying, I think IDC said last year that half of all used phones that were purchased last year were iPhones. And so I think that iPhones over a period of time with the iterative improvements, people are going to more often go to use iPhones, which means the revenue that they're going to get from their biggest selling product is going to start to diminish and, and it already has over time. So they needed a new play. Now to the product itself. You have nobody has yet to prove that the public wants VR or AR. <laughs> nobody has done it. And one of the things I heard from from a woman at a conference I was at a couple of days ago, which reminded me of what I already knew. One of the baseline foundational reasons for success for the whole video, the whole VCR, we all know what that was. Porn. <laughs> I didn't know you that. Can, you can laugh, but both John and I worked for magazines where the entire back end of the magazine were advertisements for porn. Yeah. And and there, it is the unknown dirty secret of the industry that if not for, you know, Boogie Nights kind of producers, the video revolution may not have taken off. Has anybody right. seen any virtual reality porn? No. no. Exactly. The, the fact that the porn industry isn't attracted to someone, something, a technology that you would think would be unnatural is to me. There, a there huge uh, was a demo of that uh, content. It's a demo. Several but years ago. Not, I don't not, know if there's still. But Stuart, I think the point you're making is. That field. <laughs> the point Stuart is making is a good one. You don't think that industry is. Apple will never acknowledge it, of course. No, of course but, not. Nobody but, does. But, but, you, but you don't think that there's a ton of yeah. developers, and Apple has thousands of developers who, who now have their hands on a unit because that's part of the development kit that you get when you're when you're a full fledged developer with Apple. You don't think that they're going to be app, uh, they're going to be developing apps now? There whether Apple, been, there haven't been so far. There has been no major movement when the VCR first came out. The first people who jumped on that was the porn industry because they wanted to sell direct to consumers. Again, yes. I'm old enough to have very vivid memories. I went to remember the adult video show was right next door to CES for yeah. a lot of years for this primary reason, because they were interested in both the VCR and DVD. These, these were both very big technologies within the porn industry to the point where they were right next door to CES. You're yes. hearing or seeing anything like that right now. Now Are I'm not saying it. Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, uh, again, the fact that they haven't jumped on it, and it's such a natural, you would think, a natural thing for the adult industry to want to get into. But but to John's point, the isolating instance, there has not been on the other side of the coin from pure usage technology. Again, I will say this for the thousandth time, no technology that you put over your head has ever succeeded in our industry. Yeah, but, it, between those two things, I, 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 I don't want to discount Apple's ability to make this into a mainstream product. I, but, I, I just think it's such a long-term play for it to happen that that's why I mentioned the Newton. It took what 
10 years before the Palm Pilot actually came out and, and fulfilled the promise that the Newton had made? Well, I would say the iPhone has actually fulfilled the promise that Newton had made. Even, even yeah. longer. Yeah. But, 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 you, but when I say isolating, don't get me wrong. I think they should embrace that, right? I say it like it's a negative thing, but actually it can be a positive thing. I think to ignore that aspect of the technology is, is silly. Embrace the isolation part of it in places where you want to be isolated. That's why I think of going to IFA, they won't be ready in time for IFA, but you know, my next international flight or whatever, um, I would love to have that isolation. Not I don't sure. want to know what's going on around me and I don't want people watching the same movie I'm watching because there might be kids and it might be violent. And like every time I see that, I'm going to spring for business. There have already time. been I want dozens that. of headsets for that specific purpose. And none of Epson has been selling them for years. For years. But the it, resolution on all those other headsets, the resolution you're talking, about every an iter, one. you're talking about an iterative step that still has the same problems of battery life size you still have to interact with flight attendants and with um, announcements from the cat it just how many flights have we been on that we've seen people using these headsets none it's simply i don't see i can't see it as <laughs> right now anyway i think it would change it, it needs a requires a complete change in consumer behaviors thx 1138 kind of isolation <laughs> society that we may be getting towards considering how all, how how many people live their lives with their noses in their phones so maybe we're getting to that where we all want right. to be isolated i just don't see wow. that we're there in any kind of short term time frame we're going to have to wrap it wrap it up here because we're going to revisit this topic once again. We'll have you back. And Stuart, the one observation I would make before I kind of wrap it up here is that if you recall, Times Square changed almost overnight when the VCR became very, very popular. If you remember Times Square circa 1978, 79, wasn't a fun place to hang out, you know, in terms of the kind of movie theaters and places. The, the, you know, they talk about you know Giuliani hired a lot of cops in the in the early '90s to, to, to solve the seediness of Times Square. It was the VCR that saw that that solved that problem. Well, actually, quite frankly, if you know the history of New York, is actually David Dinkins' deal with Disney to Disney yes, Five yes. Times Square. That was actually the start of the transformation. That's that's we, we should do a podcast. <laughs> we do a podcast. But but guys, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For a viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute, please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these convenient on-screen QR codes to connect with me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week, uh, great week and thanks for participating. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you.